Welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows. One of the shows that we have up on air and or online, well, and online, 24-7, uh, throughout all all kinds of weather and, and, and political changes and whatever else might be going on. But we're there. Uh, and we're there because, well, we, we choose to be there in two different forms, in two different manifestations, if you will. Two, two forms of the same show. I feel something theological coming on over here, or something like an old Bonomo's Turkish Taffy commercial. Uh, no, that, that's, that's going way too far afield, and I'm making far too many uh, loose associations here. We have, uh, of, apart from other uh, methodologies for ana analyze, um, analogizing this, we got two ways that you could listen to us. It's that simple. Uh, when you go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, you have a choice of listening to us as a radio loop, which is to say you pick up the show as it's running on that little separate computer I'm staring at right now in the corner of the studio, and you pick it up at whatever point the show happens to be when you hit the link. It's running in a loop, just like you would pick it up if you were dialing into a real radio show, hence radio loop. Or you do what most people tend to do, and that is pick it up as a podcast. And to do that, you hit the first loop, uh, not the first loop, you hit the first link, four letters, same starting uh, letter, Loop doesn't end with a P. No, no, K and a P. Well, okay. Boy, it's that kind of a morning, isn't it here? Um, you hit the first link, and that gives you our podcast listing. Whatever is playing in the radio loop at that time will be the first show that appears on the top of the podcast listing, the RSS listing for those of you who uh, may be just a little bit more uh, tech savvy about how these things are put together. And it will be there until we change shows, until we change the show in the radio loop, at which point the show at the top of the podcast feed will be that show. So however you're listening to us, welcome to Center Left Radio on a Friday morning the 20th of May. Uh, it's 50, 51 degrees here? Yeah, I just checked it a moment ago. And if, if, uh, if, the, weather, if the National Weather Service is to be believed, uh, by this time tomorrow here in the lower Hudson Valley, we'll be soaring into the 90s and we'll stay there until sometime Sunday evening, at which point, uh, going into Monday, we'll be back here into the 50s again. We're going to take a foray into uh, an, ex an experimental mini heat wave, as it were, uh, tomorrow and Sunday. This is not by any means unheard of uh, here in the Northeast. It, it happens, actually, I'm even I'm surprised that we haven't had anything like a heat wave, and here it is the 20th of May already. I can remember some dreadful heat waves back in April uh, in years past, but 
that's what we'll have uh, tomorrow and and Sunday. Uh, what we won't have today, uh, unfortunately, is David Bach. David can't be with us. Uh, he assures us he'll be with us again next week. We look forward to seeing him. David, of course, uh, for those of you who follow him, can be found on his various feeds. Please just go online and uh, Google David B-A-C-H and you will be able to find David in a big hurry. He's out there all the time, live streaming and everything else. Uh, with a, uh, a tremendous uh, level of political insight and uh, a lot of personal charisma, too. I know that he does a lot of interaction with, uh, with people on, uh, on his show. So it's an enjoyable sort of thing, and we look forward to having him back with us next Friday. There's an odd kind of thing happening Oh, geez, that's like saying well, these days, you know, the sun rises. Well, there are odd things happening. Oh, yeah. But it's the assemblage of things that are happening that that is kind of strange. You know, if you're a regular listener to this show, we've been talking about uh, many of the uh, political issues associated with Trumpian sort of politics and how uh, basically Republicans are in pretty deep doo-doo right now in terms of the things that are about to happen with the, uh, with the January 6th commission hearings that are going to be coming up. However, they are attempting to constantly uh, counter that or, or balance that against the inflationary cycle the country is in, and yet they're participating in keeping that cycle going. There's a lot of there's a lot of strange stuff, and Trump, of course, is trying to keep himself relevant. So he endorses candidates, and some win, and some lose, and and it goes on and on and on. And there, there's always this sense, and and as I say, we've said this on this show any number of times that if we allow things to go too far in any direction, and they are approaching the direction that they shouldn't be going in, simply because, for the, for the benign neglect at best of the Republican Party in terms of attempting to rein in its crazier members, and encouraging a Trumpian-like sort of response to all kinds of things, that coupled with the Supreme Court uh, apparently self-destructing over Roe v. Wade and any number of things of that sort, and it just hasn't been boding well for the relatively moderate term and certainly the long-term sustaining of the American experiment in uh, democracy at least based on all of that. Now, there's another set of factors. This, it, it just, you know, it, the deeper you try getting into all this and the more factors you start throwing in, you, you just appreciate more and more, and I, and, I, and I usually find myself saying this, and I seem to say it more on Fridays than other days. Uh, that's why they play the games. We can, we can hypothesize and theorize about uh, what should happen based on what we see so far and what people probably will do, probably based on what they may have done in the past, but in the end, nothing takes the place of living through history. 
Now, that doesn't mean you don't plan. That doesn't mean you don't strategize or, 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 or set up tactical uh, uh, mechanisms based on best analysis of situations. Uh, you don't have to wait until you're in the middle of the doo-doo to start reacting to it. Okay, I get all that. But there's just so much coming from so many different directions that it, it's hard to make an absolute call about where things are going. There, there's one thing in particular that happened this, well, two things this week, and they're interrelated, that, that makes me wonder about um, many of my own predictions of doom and gloom. There was a $40 billion package approved by the Senate based on the numbers that were put out by, uh, put out by Joe Biden in aid for Ukraine. And in the, I think almost on the same day that he signed that package, or was it within a day or two before, there was a, uh, um, there was a Rose Garden reception. Uh, I don't know if there was a formal dinner that was tossed in with it or something, but I caught the news conference, or part of the news conference, that was held with the presidents of both Sweden and Finland in the Rose Garden, both nations have formally requested participation in NATO. Now, NATO is one of these organizations where every other member has to approve before you're in. And Turkey is throwing up something based on uh, uh, Finnish uh, either alleged support of or... Uh, or a place of refuge has been given to enemies of the Turkish state, so Erdogan has got a beef with this, but, but there, no one seems to be taking seriously that when the vote is taken, Erdogan and every other member of NATO will approve two new members. Now, now, now compare this... Imagine, if you will, we're, we, imagine we were, uh, you know, a year and a half into a second Trump presidency. Imagine that the invasion of Ukraine had happened with Donald and his good friend, you know, Vladimir. And, and Donald would, of course, find ways to talk out of every orifice, saying what is bad, what's not good, et cetera, et cetera. And ultimately, he'd be finding ways to debase NATO. He'd make sure that there was no way that NATO would become a force against Ukraine. He would simply recognize, in some weird way, talking out of ten sides of his mouth, the net result. And again, this is predictive. This is proving the unprobable, at least at this point in time, that somehow he would find a way to let Vladimir have his way, simply because they're they're bosom buddies. They're they're basically uh, of the, of a common mindset. And NATO basically would not be uh, as unified, anywhere near, near as unified. Certainly the United States would not be the force that it's been in countering Russia at this point. You, you have to think about that. Now, there's still a, a Trumpian 
Yeah, obviously, there's a strong Trumpian group still within the Senate. And, and when the final vote was taken the other day on this uh, $40 billion aid package, I think something like 11 or 12, was it? Uh, maybe more Republican senators actually voted against it. But something like 85 or 86 senators in total voted for this $40 billion aid package. This in the middle of all of this uh, inflationary pressure that's come to bear on the American economy right now, evidenced largely, of course, in food prices, uh, evidenced largely in fuel prices at the moment, evidenced in, in rising cost of transportation, air flights, uh, you know, air tickets, uh, all sorts of things, the supply chain problems that are still linked to COVID and everything else, all of this stuff, and the pressure on the American consumer. One would think that if the Republicans are going to really stake their, their hopes on the, the notion of Democrats being bad on inflation or something like that, and it'll be an easy one. I mean, you know, when, when, when something like this economically happens during your term, your administration, uh, you, you, you have to own it. You, you try not to. You try to explain it. But the fact is you own it. And, and Americans being, you know, somewhat uh, whimsical about these things, mercurial in their selection processes politically, will more often than not, at least historically, uh, make the party in power take it on the chin when they're feeling pain in their pocketbooks. That's, that's how it tends to work. So with that in mind, you would think the Republicans would have held ranks, Mitch McConnell would have held ranks together, and in a show of both uh, anti-inflation uh, uh, you know, activity, I mean, $40, $40 billion just tossed out there, man. That, that's, you know, where's, where's that coming from, said Rand Paul during his first effort to stop the whole thing. You can't just pull for... And Rand Paul, no one, you know, at least I don't take him too seriously. He's a little bit nuts. Uh, but he's, you know, but he's consistent in his nuttiness. But you have a, the vast majority, the majority, the, the, a strong majority of Republican senators clearly being given their signals by, by uh, Mitch are with it. And they run a risk then of being accused of uh, promoting the inflation. You've just added $40 billion. I mean, I'm a Democrat. I'm running against the Republican. Hey, man, this guy just voted they, we voted together to add $40 billion. Well, says my, can't, my, well, says my Republican op opponent, that's different. And if I'm going to be honest, as a Democrat running against him, I'd have to say, well, you know, come to think of it, yeah, you know, it is. That $40 billion is a vote that could not have taken place, at least certainly not in that form, during... Uh, Donald, if, if there was a Donald administration going on, and basically it says to Russia, we're not going to allow you, you little tiny thingy, you one point something, I don't know, trillion dollar economy versus our 40 something trillion collective economies between the US and the EU and NATO and all that, we're not going to allow you 
to win this thing. You're going to lose. We're going to make sure one way or the other, you eventually are forced into a losing position on this. Against your better hopes that somehow this would weaken NATO, maybe those plans were made with a Donald-type situation in mind. Maybe you were hoping to split the American Congress once again, as it splits so readily these days, uh, on some kind of a making Ukraine and your attacking it some kind of a cultural issue. You failed, if that was your idea, you failed miserably in that regard. The U.S. Congress came together and basically is giving Ukraine everything it needs on a military basis to stop Putin. And, and, and it goes beyond this. This, this, this gets really weird. Uh, there was a piece on Russian television a few days ago, a, a state, a, well, state television, and a clearly, therefore, state-approved commentator is on air and he's telling everybody that the war, in, a, in apparently a four-minute uh, commentary piece, that the war is a unmitigated disaster. The war against Ukraine has been an economic disaster. It has isolated Russia, blah, 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 on and on and on and on. I, I, I read this thing and, I, and, I, and again, I, I was trying to hit myself in the head and say, wait a minute, is this actually happening? Did this really happen? And apparently, as, as nearly as I can figure, it happened once. There was this one on-air statement for four minutes on state television, Russian state television, where the commentator just ripped, ripped holes in the entire attack of Ukraine. And the notion that that could happen in the midst of a law that was pretty much handcrafted by Putin, making it a 15-year prison sentence for anyone who was even so, so bold as to say that this was a war. It's not a war. We are simply correcting all of the, the we're getting, we're purging all the Nazis that are in there. Um, to think that that could have happened on state television at the same time this law is in effect, is, it just boggles the mind. And it suggests that Putin is losing. Now, on top of all that, he has health problems. Uh, apparently, the story goes that there's a cancer operation or something of that sort that he's going through. And, and, and this begins to sound like nothing so... Nothing so much as the prelude to, <laughs> you know, you, if you've lived long enough, you live enough decades, you, you, you've seen uh, changes in the Russian state. Well, this was under the old Soviet system, which was allegedly a communist system. But Putin has turned whatever the hell Russia is right now into pretty much a mindless uh, fascistic state. It's, it's, it's a fascism. I mean, I mean okay, F fascism is a, is, is a very uh, hard thing to nail down. Uh, I, 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 there was an interesting piece in the Times um, yesterday, I guess it was, 
by a professor from Yale who it was it was a, it was a guest opinion piece, and um, essentially talking about the difficulty historically associated with um, defining fascistic states. I mean, once you get past Germany and you get past, it, it, it gets kind of tough to basically say what a fascistic state is. For the most part, it involves a strong person who basically is, uh, takes over, um, it takes over all, um, most of the, 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 crimin the criminality aspect or, or the criminal law or the, the, the punitive aspects of the state are controlled by an individual. And there is not a heck of a lot more that automatically, and oh, and by the way, and that basically war, a war of some sort is a necessary component of whatever the long-term plan of the state is. And, and, and this Times uh, opinion piece basically said that by any, any even the, the, the loosest definition of, of what a, uh, you know, what, what, what a fascistic state might be, a fascism might be, Russia has gone there, which is, which is really funny when you think about it. It'd be funny depending on your sense of humor. That, that Russia enters World War II uh, on the side of Germany. Remember, Russia and, and Russia and Germany invaded Poland together. I think people tend to forget this. That the, the Russian, the communists, you know, the, oh, the communists, was, no, it was always the communists versus the fascists and everything. So there was never an affiliation. There was, no, that's not true at all. Russians would like to forget this. I, I think certainly Putin would like to forget this, that Russia and Germany invaded Poland together in 1938 or 9, was it? In any event, they were allies. And, and, and Russia was happily an ally of Nazi Germany. And it would have remained that way, I imagine. I'm sure Stalin must have figured out it was to his advantage uh, just to keep this affiliation going. Everybody had something to get until he just didn't calculate that, that, that uh, Hitler essentially had his eye on all that lovely Russian wheat land, specifically the Ukraine. Ukraine was where all the wheat is growing and where all the food, the, the bread basket of Central Europe, essentially. And this is what he wanted. And so he happily turned on Stalin. And, and then, all of a sudden, we hear all these stories about, well, you know, communism versus fascism and everything else. And, and, and one begins to, you, you, as, you, as you look back on this sort of stuff, you, you begin to uh, recognize that getting trapped in these terminologies is, is kind of a trap. It quite literally is. The, the issue is what you have under, under, uh, under Hitler, what you had under Mussolini, what you have currently under Putin for as long as it may last. And what you have in China is authoritarianism. It's the it's the it's the 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 superiority, the declared superiority of might and force over reason. It is the the strength of an individual to overcome 
pretty much everything else around him, all other more reasonable approaches the, to overcome essentially progressivism, where you, where you hash things out, and, and to take over in that way. Now, we have been bemoaning the rise of authoritarianism a lot on this show and on others all over the place. And, and I think a lot of the bemoaning has had to do with recognizing that there really wasn't or didn't seem to be a strong enough reaction to the likes of, let's say, uh, on, on supposedly our side of the equation, uh, the, the leader of Hungary or Erdogan in Turkey, that we, we have our own uh, little uh, uh, authoritarianly oriented sorts that we need to bring into line but certainly not really reacting sufficiently to a Putin or not reacting to, um, to, a, uh, to, to, to the Chinese as strongly as we could, as the Chinese seem to be reaffiliating with the Russians at this point, that we're just not strong enough, that the Western, the Western states just aren't putting together a strong enough of an affiliation, that authoritarianism seems to be sweeping Along, it, it, it's it's picking up momentum, but then you have what's just happened uh, with with both Finland and Sweden uh, tacitly being granted, uh, you know, membership in or will be granted membership in NATO. Two of the largest independent states there. Finland with something like, I think is it an 800-mile coastline or, or border with Russia? Uh, you know, and Sweden, Sweden not having a border specifically, but them being bordered with, and, and realizing that Russia's too crazy. We can't allow this. And you suddenly now start doing the math. And you recognize what the force, what the, the democratic, if you will, forces are that are now aligning against this authoritarian bloc, if you will, China and, and Russia. And what those democratic forces represent in terms of economic power, in terms of cultural strength, in terms of unity, in terms of the power that comes with voluntary association as opposed to one person down mandated force. And, and it's not hard to kind of stop for a second and say, wait a minute, what is, what is the future of this authoritarian threat that we've been, or I've certainly, I've been, and many others have been uh, so conscious of, especially as it seems to be welling up within, uh, within our own borders. What, what is going on here? And how could we suddenly find ourselves reunifying with NATO if Donald supposedly owns the Republican Party, if the Republicans have allegedly given up everything that they have in favor of letting their most insane components take over, let the, let the, let the, let the nut jobs run the, the, the nut house, as it were, uh, 
to use a poor analogy, it, it, and, and if that is the nature of what's really going on, if that's at the heart of America, how do you square that with this sudden unification around the idea of NATO and fighting Putin? Is there really something superior? Is there something more fundamental? Is there something, is there a strength that is being demonstrated by this that is actually stronger than what we, when, when one wishes to bemoan the state of American politics and American governance, something stronger than the easy targets for all that, beginning with Roe v. Wade and what the Supreme Court is doing to itself. Are we more, are we more affiliated? Is there something stronger about our sense of democratic versus authoritarianism? Has this, has this visceral memory, this, this genetic racial memory, if you will, been so uh, re-stimulated by what, what Russia has been doing in Ukraine that we've basically been revitalized or are being revitalized as a Jeffersonian democracy. Now, and, 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 if you, and if you follow that line of reasoning as, as, a, as a possible way that things are going... In, in other words, if the Republican Party, if the Mitch McConnells of the world know full well that they're not going to give over the party to the loonies, if there's a rational streak out there, if there's an understanding that basically a lot of bad, dumb stuff was done on January 6th, if there is a realization that Donald Trump is in fact a criminal and has no business ever running again, then one might expect in the next few weeks, and especially as we start getting into the January 6th hearings, the public hearings that'll be playing out, one may expect that there is going to be an effort within the Republican Party to, on the one hand, deflect as much accusation about January 6th as possible, but to focus on those or to allow, permit a focus on those who basically had the strongest amount of play in it on the Republican side. In other words, let, let, let's define who the guilty parties are here, among ourselves even, and let them take the blame. Uh, let, let's, not, let's not take this as a, uh, a total repudiation of our entire party. Let these hearings and what's about to happen be an opportunity to cull out some of the craziness. Now, there have been primaries in the last few days that have shown that a number of hyper-Trumpian types will be running. 
And if they're running on, on a state level, chances are they'll lose. If they're running on a local level, they, they, they may very well win. And again, uh, there is a very good chance that the, uh, that the Democrats will lose either the House or the Senate, and, and possibly both. It could happen that way. But there is a bigger, there's a bigger thing at play here, and that is the presidential election coming up in 2024. And the Republicans know that they can't run Donald. I mean, everything, everything I'm hearing right now, everything that just happened with Ukraine, everything that just happened with the NATO expansion that's about to happen, everything tells me that there's no way you can insert a Donald Trump back into the world, the international world, the, 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 the world that includes Putin and China. You can't put Donald back there and let him play. And the Republicans have to know that. They have to know that it would be the most losingest hand in the world. They'd have to know that in an election involving him, in which he'd probably lose, he'd basically begin attempting to do yet another insurrection and try to make this one worse than the last one. And they know that that's a losing hand. You, can't, you, you can play this hand just so many times, and it's been played already. And again, this will be on the heels of everybody on the planet watching whatever is put out by the January 6th Commission during the public hearings, which will be taking place in June, in a few weeks. So... I have to guess that this is, again, Mitch McConnell being Mitch McConnell. This is all part of a larger plan on how the hell to get away from Donald. That there is a, yes, 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 the, the, yes, we know that their people want him and everything, but we're going to allow this thing to play out. I'm going to play this thing down the middle. You too, uh, and I'm sure he talks to Kevin McCarthy, who's not too bright. Kevin is not tactical or strategic in any, in any definable way. If you want to survive, what we have to do, imagine this. We got to play this thing down the middle, play the best hand we have for the midterms, do nothing after that. We don't plan, all we do is planning on blocking Biden just like we blocked Obama before him and get nothing much done. But make certain, make certain that enough is out there so that we don't have to go through an apoplectic level of shock when Merrick Garland begins indicting Donald and maybe some of us. We have to begin to prepare ourselves to cut ties. We have to begin to, we have to begin a painful process of reassembling who we are for purposes of actually governing in some sort of rational way. We can't do this behind Donald. We will all lose if Donald gets back in there, or even if just Donald runs, because we, we just can't. It, it's, it's just not going to work. Republicans will lose, and ultimately we will if we destroy the country, and I'm not so stupid as to not be able to figure out how that could happen, says Mitch. If we let Donald back in, he'll take this place down. He's unstable, he's crazy, he's narcissistic, he's somewhat pathological, certainly 
uh, well, maybe, maybe sociological, who knows. But we can't let this guy back in. He doesn't have an off switch, he doesn't have a reverse, he doesn't even have a steering wheel. So we've got to let this play out. Now, if you had that thought in mind, and looking at where the Republicans are right now, and you imagine that the ultimate play is to remove Donald and get something Donald-esque, but not so off the wall. Donald-esque and yet uh, capable of being internationally rational and capable of, 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 of pulling back and doing kind of what Donald did during the, the 2016 election, and that was running sort of as a centrist. So in other words, lying at least, you know, lying enough to do that, but, but not being motivated by purely narcissistic means and certainly not owing Russia, you know, most of what your, what your business is worth at this point. If you can picture that, then maybe it, it begins to make some sense. In fact, it becomes the only way that the Republicans can extract themselves out of the Donaldism. You, you have to allow your base to imagine that they're still sort of enthralled with and, and anything for Donald. But really, you see, you, you, you have to recognize at the same time, and I think they do, that what it is that the base really needs is somewhere to bitch and moan, some place to park their grievances. Donald is the great grievance parking lot. And it could just as well be someone else that would help them to park their grievances, but be a little more uh, refined in directing their reactions. Uh, not basically uh, supporting the basest and grossest candidates or the basest and grossest uh, uh, impulses, like insurrections and things of that sort. It's going to be a tricky play. But you see, the Republicans are where they are. They are in the worst position, probably, of their political history at this point. So, so how do we recover? How do we, how do we not divide this country so badly that we can't, there, there's nothing worth governing even. Uh, how, do, how do we not turn this into the, uh, the new confederacy based on abortion laws? How do, how do, we, how do we get away from all that? Well, you do it, you, you, get, the, you get the abortion, uh, the, the new confederacy off the table by getting a federal law in place that allows, uh, that allows for a protection of women's rights generally. Can you do that between now and the 2024 election? Probably not you would have to lose the 2024 election, which you will one way or the other. That's the, that's the calculation. Allow that to happen. Let the new law come into play. And then, because there'll be a huge, there'll be a huge flip in, in, in 2024, much as there was in 2020, 
you'll have, and, and, and allow this law to happen, now you take out of play the idea of this new confederacy based on women's rights and, and wherever it goes from there and how many and however crazy people want to get from there. And you gradually now begin reintroducing actual ideas into the Republican Party, ideas for governing, actual positions, actual platforms actual changes, identifiable things that will help people's lives, not just anger, not just hatred, not just people to blame. That's all the Republican Party is right now. Now, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm giving what I think is, I think it's not an unrealistic scenario. I, I give Mitch McConnell a lot of credit for having a brain and that he's probably the most influential Republican on the planet. And if I wanted to save the party, knowing that to save the Republican Party, I have to retain a functional country, what I've laid out is how I would pretty much do it. But I could be completely wrong. This could all still be drifting downhill, and ultimately, uh, nothing uh, will be done in time to stop this new... Uh, this hegemonistic uh, sort of uh, thing happening. Uh, well, no, 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 no. I, I take that back. No, not a hegemonistic thing. Certainly, from an American perspective, but a but a uh, an effort to basically overthrow everything else about our democracy at the hands or through the activities of a minority knowing that the majority will, of course, react all the more strongly as this process goes forward. And then all of the conflict that might come from that will just have to happen. We'll just have to, we'll have to just let it work itself out, might be the uh, way in which um, a lot of people would look at this. Just let it happen. We can't change it. I'm, I'm giving a best-case scenario here, that there is the realization that we have to maintain a, an affiliation within the world against the true autocratic forces, and that on the part of the Republicans, as well as the Democrats, Trumpism and MAGAism cannot be sustained as a viable methodology or mechanism or ideology for actual governance. And if you accept both those premises, both the international and the domestic premise, it guides things you are about to do or are doing. You've done it already in the vote for Ukraine. And it should become apparent where you're going as reactions to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the June hearings about what happened on January 6th, the hearings that will be conducted by the January 6th Commission. As you watch how Republicans react to this, you should start getting a sense of which way this is going to go. If it's total defensiveness and total... Uh, a total failure to even admit to, to the facts that are coming out. Again, all of that in an election year, it, it's not going to be easy. But the only way out of this for Republicans is to basically sacrifice 
the worst of the wrongdoers. That's the only way out. And that's the only way out of Trump. And it's going to be tricky. It's not going to be easy. But it's possible. And I just, again, would like to imagine that that, that unifying vote to allow that $40 billion to go to Ukraine, something that could have never happened under Trump influence, that that vote is indicative of a possibility at least that there's enough rationality left within Republican ranks to recognize that the only path to survival for the country, for them, therefore everyone with it, and all the political parties with it, is to completely disavow themselves of Donald and Trumpism and MAGAism, to basically clear the decks of the crazies within and among them as far as they can, and to ultimately begin governing like a party rather than just being a grievance parking lot to begin governing. As I say, I, I think we'll see indications of this depending on how you see Republicans reacting to what happens uh, when the January 6th committee uh, begins its hearings in June. And I suppose I'm, you know, a bit of a Pollyannish sort. I, I hold out hope for these things. I'm not being unrealistically Pollyannish. Uh, the, the Republicans have done incredibly stupid things in recent years. Democrats do too, but nothing, nothing to the Republicans and Trump and all of that. No, nothing, nothing quite so insane as that. Now we've got to get out of this. And it will largely depend on the Republicans' desire to pull the country back together again. Hey, that's why they play the games. Meanwhile, a little jazz.
This is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to center-left radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming. And we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can on a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, $5, $10, $1,000, whatever you can contribute to make center-left radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident. And as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Central F Radio, thank you. You've been listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. There's a chance, a chance, that Republicans can bring it back together again. They can create an environment in which a two-party system and democracy can continue in some reasonably evolved form, but it will require a willingness to totally jettison Donald Trump and jettison the worst elements of their party. Can they do it?